بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم أما بعد We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala with six lessons in the Prophet, peace be upon him. Continuing with Rumi's discourses, we are on page 17 of the Faxton edition in Discourse 4. Okay. Over and above the food you eat to maintain yourself physically, there is another food, as the Prophet said. I spend the night with my Lord, and he feeds me and gives me drink. In this world, you have forgotten that other food and occupied yourself with the food of this world. Day and night you cater to your body. Now this body is your steed, and this world is its stable. A horse's food is not fit for its rider. A horse maintains itself after its own fashion. Since you have been overwhelmed by your bestial and animal nature, you have remained in the stable with the horses and have no place among the ranks of the kings and princes of the world where your heart is. Since your body is dominant, you must obey the body's orders. You are held prisoner by it, like Madnoon when he set out for Layla's country. So long as he was conscious, he drove his camel in the right direction. But once he became absorbed in Layla, he forgot both himself and the camel. The camel, which he had a child back in which which had a child back in the village, turned around toward the village at the first opportunity. When Majnoon came to, he saw that he had been going the wrong way for two days. Thus he kept going to and fro for three months. When at last he cried, This camel is a curse to me. So saying, he jumped from the camel and set off on his own. My camel's desire is behind me, while my own desire lies ahead. Truly, she and I are at odds. Okay, so a number of things that are taking place here. And again, for, for understanding Rumi as well as Ghazali, it's often easier to work backwards. So, but starting from the beginning of this paragraph. So, over and above the food you eat to maintain yourself physically, there's another food, as the Prophet says, peace be upon him. I spend the night with my Lord, and he feeds me and gives me drink. Okay, so there's a type of nourishment that everyone needs, different than the food like physical food, physical drink. And, and what is that? That is connection. So the feeling that you get when you don't get physical food, physical drink, is hunger and thirst. Okay? And that hunger and thirst can hurt more and more, you know, the longer you go without food and drink. Okay? To the point that it might hurt so much that it's even affecting your mind and you might just do anything just to have food or drink. The feeling you get when you don't have connection is loneliness. And, and so what can then happen if the loneliness persists? That's one of the types of depression. Loneliness itself is not a depression. Okay? But it can then form a type of depression of the heart. So this is different than physical depre- physiological depression for which you would take medication, uh, adjust, you know, become more physically active, eat different foods. Okay? That's physiological depression, which is a real thing. Um, and then there's, in this paradigm, depression of the mind, and so that's where you go to a psychologist, right? And there you go through therapy related to behavior modification and such. And here we're talking about depression of the heart. Because you have this innate, very, very deep yearning uh, to go back to Allah Ta'ala. And so that is the way that you'll truly 
fulfill this loneliness. So there's a teaching attributed, uh, I think it's to Aisha, where she, uh, uh, where she says that at night, you know, uh, people go with their beloveds, and the Prophet peace be would go with God. Okay, so so loneliness uh, can be satisfied at least temporarily in dunya with you know with love from another person. Okay. But even then, it's not going to truly satisfy it. It's going to satisfy quite a bit of it. But it'll become truly satisfied, even in that case, if both the man and the woman are also seeking connection with Allah. Then that's a very deep satisfaction. But the point is that, all right, if you don't have connection with Allah, um... Um, then it's going to create a type of loneliness. And if you don't have a connection with another person, it's going to contribute to a type of loneliness. That loneliness will eventually become depression of the heart. Hosen. So then it says, In this world you've forgotten that other food and occupied yourself with the food of this world. So what happens then is that if I don't know to go to Allah Ta'ala to fulfill this loneliness... Um, or if I don't want to, the need is still going to be there, and I'm going to go to other things. And that becomes the food of this world. The food of this world could be physical, material food. I'll eat more than I want or need to. Um, It could be possessions. I'll start buying things that I don't need to buy. Uh, It could be seeking attention. Um, All kinds of different things that are the food of this world. And so the end result will be day and night that you're going to cater to your body. Okay. So then he says, now this body is your steed and this world is its stable. A horse's food is not, okay, first, now your body is your steed and this world is its stable. Okay. Um, what does that mean? Just that sentence. How would you understand that? That your body is just a means and it's not the end. Yeah. So your body is a horse that lives in this world, that rests in this world. But the horse's food is not fit for the rider. So Allah Ta'ala has given you this body. And this thing that you have inside, which may be your soul, maybe your consciousness, however you want to look at it, um, what feeds your body will not feed your soul. Because a horse's food is not fit for its rider. A horse maintains itself after its own fashion. So what happens for most people is that it says, since you've been overwhelmed by your bestial, meaning your animal, your animal nature, you have remained in the stable with the horses and have no place among the ranks of the kings and princes of the world where your heart is. So what are we saying here that, all right, if you are overcome by worldly appetites, you're giving up your honor. Like, you know, Allah Ta'ala has honored the children of Adam, peace be upon him. And what has he honored you with, among many things? With a soul. Since your body is dominant, you must obey the body's orders. So then what else happens? The more you feed your body 
the greater your body's appetite becomes. This is why it's so fascinating in Ramadan. I mean, it's straightforward that, all right, first few days of Ramadan, at iftar time, people just pig out, right? But then, towards the latter part of Ramadan, what happens? Your stomach has gotten smaller. And so you need less. And one of the big lessons of Ramadan is that you can, for a long period of time, have control over your body. Right? You can take control of yourself. This thing that may be taking control of you. So it says, since your body is dominant, you must obey the body's orders. And thus you are held prisoner-like by it. Like Majnun when he set out for Layla's country. Uh, Layla's country. So we talked about the story of Layla and Majnun, didn't we? Or I, I'm confusing all my classes. Okay. So Layla and Majnun, there's a few stories in, in general Muslim tradition that are the sort of like the iconic stories. One is Layla and Majnun. One is Yusuf and Zulecha. So Yusuf and Zulecha is a story of Prophet Yusuf, and Zulecha is the wife of the Aziz. And there's a third one that I'm forgetting at this moment, and inshallah will come back to me. But so, so Ais is this person who's in love with Layla. Okay. And, and for whatever reason, he can't have her. I think she's a princess, and he's just this regular, regular guy. And so he is so obsessively in love with her, but, you know, it, she's out of his reach. And he's heading over uh, to, to her country to, to try to win her heart. Yeah. But what happens is that he gets so deeply lost in his love for her, he stops paying attention to Dunya. And so he's riding on this camel, and the camel has love for its child. So as soon as, you know, uh, so like, you know, Majnun, or I mean, Qais, um, he becomes Majnun, right? So, so Majnun, he stops paying attention, and so he stops directing his camel. So what does his camel do? His camel wants to go to uh, its beloved, and that's its child. So the camel turns around and goes back to the village, okay? And so then Pace comes back to his senses and he realizes, all right, he just blew two days and then he turns around again. But then the same thing happens. He gets lost in his love for her. And so it says this went on for three months. And, and so, so this is one of those, you know, archetypical love stories. So then he says, this camel is a curse to me. Okay. The problem is not the camel. Okay. Um, the problem is that he's taken leave of his senses in love for something. And so if you develop in love for Allah, we said that what is spirituality? It'll, it'll be complete clarity. If you develop love for anything else, then you're going to find yourself thinking, that's all I can think about. Meanwhile, the world keeps moving and you lose your bearings. So the deeper you are of love for Allah, the more focused you are. But you will have love for something. So then he says, so then it's, uh, he says this, he jumped off of his camel and then just started walking on his own. Yeah. And then eventually he gets to, 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 to Layla. So my camel's desire is behind me, meaning back in the village, while my own desire lies ahead. Truly she and I are at odds. And so the camel is his body. So is that saying to sacrifice your body's needs? So not so much sacrifice your body's needs because they are still natural and good needs. 
but don't uh, don't try to fulfill your need for Allah by fulfilling the appetites of your body, because then what will happen is your body will take over. You become a prisoner of your body. Yeah. But he wasn't trying to fulfill it. No, but but what was he? What was his love for? I mean, Layla, Layla, right? So his love was still not for Allah. Okay. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was just saying like, like that was like a good love. Okay, so okay. Yeah. Okay. And so, so whatever it is your love is for, you're gonna find yourself going in that direction. Okay, let's continue. Someone came to Sayyid Burhanuddin Muhaqqiq and said, "I have heard praise of you from a certain person." Let me see, he replied, what sort of person he is, whether he has reached such a degree that he can know me and praise me. If he knows me by what I have said, he does not know me because words are impermanent. Sounds are impermanent. Lips and mouths are impermanent. They are all incidental. If he knows me by what I have done, the case is likewise. If, however, he knows my essence, then I know that he is capable of praising me and that the praise belongs to me. Okay, so what's being said here? Is that words and actions don't mean much. Yeah, they're incidental. Yeah, it's in the heart that matters. Yeah, exactly. So if a person knows the real you, and they're praising you, then that's, real, that's appropriate praise. So then what is the real you? So think of the, the version of you that your siblings know. Right. There's a part of you that nobody knows but you. Isn't that based off of actions and words? Um, I'd say it's more than that because it's a whole lifetime. Right. And so there will be consistencies in your behavior that you may not even recognize, but your siblings recognize. Right. And so you're, go- you're growing through life. But, for example, my, my little sisters... Uh, they probably know me better than anybody. And then number two would be my daughters, right? And so you probably know your parents more than your parents might even know themselves. You know? Um, and, and so the point being that, uh, uh, I mean, with children, so my daughters are going to look at me also through their own lens, Right, but over the course of their life, as they get older and older, that lens is going to start moving to the side more and more, and they're going to see me as me. Uh, my sisters will look at me through their own lens, uh, meaning I'm big brother. Uh, but again, same thing. That lens will kind of decrease and decrease. That this is just this is me. Okay, and and so it's more than merely it's more than words and actions. But most of the people who know you, know you through words and actions. So what are they praising? The words and actions. And, and the problem of that is that, you know, people, if they're praising me based on my words and actions, they might be completely fooled. Or they might not know my intentions. But when you've lived with someone you know, for a long time, right? We're taught that if you live with someone or you travel with someone, um, then you get to see the real them, the real person. And so, this is also something to keep in mind when you're receiving praise. 
that if you're receiving praise from someone who truly knows you, then you can accept it. That's real. When you're receiving praise from someone who knows you publicly or knows you through professional interaction or a casual social interaction, whatever the case may be, um, as much as you might want the praise, it's probably not accurate. And same is the case for criticism. The only difference is that when you receive criticism, you should still consider it. Because it may still be an opportunity to do some internal fixing. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Now, how can you turn praise into something to seriously consider? If you're seeking, you. yeah, if you're seeking to like improve yourself, you could say like people think I am this good, so I should try to live up to those standards. And exactly. So one scenario is that this is what people think I am, so now I need to live according to that. And another thing is, okay, this is the impression that my actions and words are giving. Okay. And is that appropriate or not? And if not, then how do I change my my actions? Right, but the better thing is exactly what you said, that then I should try to live up to that that praise. Okay, very good. Let's continue. This is like a story they tell of a king who entrusted his son to a group of skilled men, with whom the boy remained until they had taught him total mastery of astronomy, geomancy, yeah, I forgot what that is, yeah. and other sciences, despite his utter stupidity and ineptitude. One day, the king took a ring in his fist and, by way of testing his son, said, Come, tell me what I am holding in my fist. What you are holding, he answered, is round yellow and it has a hole in the middle. Since you have described it correctly, said the king, tell me what it is. It must be a millstone, he said. You have given its characteristics so precisely, so precisely that the mind is boggled. With all the education and knowledge you have acquired, how has it escaped you that a millstone cannot be held in the fist? Okay, so try to make sense of this. Wait, what's millstone? Uh, it's a sieve, so it's basically like um, a little thing uh, or a thing that, like a strainer. So, you know like those, like suppose you're making spaghetti, uh -huh. and you, uh, so you have, you're boiling the spaghetti in water, yeah. and then you pour the whole thing into this big thing that has holes in it to let all the waters come out, all the water. So that would be a sieve. Okay. okay. And, and that would be a larger version of a sieve. Okay. okay. So the king is saying, um, you know, you have figured out the attributes so precisely that the mind is boggled, right? You even figured out the color. Okay. Mm -hmm. But he's saying, okay, with all that you learn, how could you not understand that, you know, a sieve can't fit in my hand? Right. Usually, like a, a sieve is, I mean, these days those things are, are plastic, but usually a sieve is, is made out of metal, and it might be much smaller. Ah, you, when oh. you're, I'm sorry? Isn't that called a calendar? So the calendar would be the big one. Okay. And so the little, the... the oh, I'm Yes, exactly, exactly, yeah. Okay. So, so here the king, you know, the kid is dumb. Okay? Yeah. And he hires all these super tutors, and he becomes an expert in all these fields. And so the king tests him, and, and so the kid has developed all these, all these skills, but still at the end of the day, he's dumb. He couldn't figure it out. He used all of his skills, but he couldn't figure out, you know, what the, his dad was holding. <laughs> 
So what's the lesson here? If you're born stupid, you have no chance. <laughs> 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 yeah. Yeah. That'd be bad. Um, is that he was focusing on the details? Exactly. He was focusing on the external details. Right. So he was perfect in the external details, uh, but didn't see the essence of what it was that, he, that his dad was holding. And so it's the same point with, you know, when you're getting praise. That you might describe someone perfectly and still not know them. Okay, that sounds kind of strange. Okay. Okay. And then when you're ready, we can continue. So it is now that the learned of our time miraculously fathom the sciences. They have learned perfectly to comprehend all sorts of extraneous things that do not concern them. What is truly important and closest of all to a man in his own self is his own self, but that our learned do not know. They pass judgment on the legality or illegality of everything, saying this is permissible and that is not, or this is lawful and that is not. Okay, so what's the connection he's making? That they're stupid. <laughs> yeah, but who is he speaking about? Uh, scholars. Yeah. So, so when we're when he's saying sciences, he's speaking of ulum. Like fiqh. Yeah, exactly. So the basic point being that all right, you can be a master of fiqh and still miss the whole point. Yeah. And and so that's exactly what he's saying here. And and this is this is a thousand years ago that he's saying this, right? Back then, those scholars were gigantic compared to the contemporary scholars. And the contemporary scholars are gigantic compared to me. Okay, so, so continue. <laughs> they pet, oh, where is it? Uh, however. however, the hollowness, yellowness, design, and roundness of the king's ring are coincidental. For if you cast it into the fire, none of those things remains. It becomes its essence, free of any of these characteristics. All the sciences, acts, and words that they put forward are likewise. They have no connection with the substance of the thing, which will abide after all these others. Likewise are all these attributes of which they speak and upon which they expound. In the end, they will render a judgment that the king is holding a millstone in his fist, since they know nothing of that which is the principal thing. I'm a bird. A nice okay, before you get into that. So yeah, so, so he's continuing the same point, and the idea being that part of his critique of fiqh is fiqh is only focusing on one aspect of your being. Okay. So uh, have I done the analogy of the river with you? Okay. So think of a river. A river has at least two parts to it, at least two. One is the water, and the other would be the banks. Okay. Mm -hmm. And so if you have... Um, a river with no water, okay, that's fit. Which you have the perfect shape, but it's empty of soul. Okay. Because fit is not promising to bring you closer to Allah. Fit is promising to try to give you prescriptions so that when you face Allah on the day of judgment, you know, you will pass. Okay. So here's what you need to do physically in terms of your salah for it to pass, for you to get credit, for you to get full credit, okay? 
Now, if you have water without the banks of the river, what happens? So if I pour water on this table, it's going to go in every direction. It's going to go according to whatever the shape is of the table. If there's wind, i.e. hawa, it's going to just follow that. Okay. And so, so fiqh is necessary to make sure I don't go in all kinds of wrong directions. Okay. But the essence of the river is the water. And so, so it's the water that brings the life. That's the focus of tasawwuf. But if you have tasawwuf without fiqh, you're literally going to have someone who's controlled by their hawa. Okay. And if you have fiqh without tasawwuf, you're just going to have empty mechanics, a lifeless ditch. So if you have a community where their whole focus is on fiqh, you will find that there is not much life in that community. Okay. Not much like real energy in that community and a lot of rigidity. Okay. But if you have a community that has tasawwuf with no fiqh, um, you're going to find that these people are bigger versions of their personality. Okay? So if they're angry people, they're going to be super angry people because their hawa is controlling everything. Oh. And we have all kinds of different examples of that throughout, uh, throughout Chicago. Yeah. So we have some communities in Chicago where the focus is almost entirely on fiqh, and then we have others that are almost like their rivals where the, community, where the focus is almost entirely on tasawwuf. And the, those people, that type of tasawwuf, will look at the people of fiqh as a bunch of rigid people that start calling them Wahhabis, all kinds of nasty names. Okay. What's uh, Wahhabi? Well, Wahhabi, it, okay, it's referring to Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab, who was a scholar from the 1700s, and um, from him, and he was a super Puritan Hanbali thinker. Mm-hmm. And, and from him, the Wahhabi movement grows, starting from this movement called the Ikhwan, not to be confused with Ikhwan al-Muslimun. This is in, in what later becomes Saudi Arabia. And they become, they're super, super violent. Um, they go after Shias, they go after Sufis, these are the people that would destroy tombs and stuff like that. So precursors of ISIS uh, would be a group like the Wahhabis, okay. or th- this group, the Ikhwan. Wait, so Abdullah... Uh, 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 Muhammad ibn Abdul Wahhab. He started that? So whether he started it or not... Uh, well, like it came from his teachings. Yeah, it basically came from his teachings, right. And, and so, but usually when people are saying Wahhabi today, they're meeting it as an insult of someone who's just really strict. Uh-huh. Yeah. There's all kinds of different insults that people give. Like there's insults that, um, that uh, Shias give to Sunnis, that Sunnis give to Shias with like a particular terminology. Mm-hmm. And so a very common insult you'll hear is Wahhabi. Yeah. Okay. And then the last paragraph. I am a bird, a nightingale or a parrot. Because my voice is fixed and cannot make any other sound, even if I am told to produce a different sort of sound, I cannot. Contrary to this is the case of someone who has learned to imitate birds. He is no bird at all. In fact, he is an enemy of birds, a hunter, but he can make bird calls in order to be taken as a bird. Since the sounds he makes are assumed and not properly his, he can, if asked, make different calls. He is able to make different calls because he has learned to pilfer people's goods and show you a different piece of linen from every house. Okay, so what type of person is being described here? Someone who can, uh, who's not a bird, but can make the sound of birds. 
This is a monophic. Yeah. So a monophic is someone who has taken on the attributes of a believer, but is not a believer. And the language here that Rumi uses, that person is actually a hunter. So we have two types of monophics. Uh, one, one would be a monophic fil aqidah. Uh, the other would be monophic fil amal. And if I'm going too fast, just let me know. A monophic fil aqidah is someone who knows that they're fake. So at the time of the Prophet, peace be upon him, these are people who said, okay, we're going to become Muslim today, but by the end of the week, we're going to leave Islam. Yeah. And their goal was basically to become Muslim and then leave and then tell everyone, yeah, we tried it out, it's good, but, you know, stick with your own religion. So their goal was to subvert the Ummah. Today's version of that would be like an FBI informant or like an FBI mole. Or like a stooge for, for the king or something like that. Someone who is basically has a different agenda, but they're presenting themselves as, as pious. So that we definitely understand as a hunter. Nifaq fil amal, or a munafiq fil amal, is someone who, by virtue of their actions, they are a hypocrite. That's the one we really have to be concerned about in terms of ourselves. Right, there's many hadith about attributes of the, of the hypocrite. Like one is, you know, when they, when they speak, they lie. When they get emotional, they lose all control of their emotions. When they're given a trust, they break their trust. Uh, attributes like that. Right, that is, the, uh, those are character problems that every one of us has to be concerned about. How would that person be a hunter? Because they wouldn't have the intention of being a hunter. Because through their bad character, they're leading other people astray. Yeah. Because you're still being recognized as Muslim within the Muslim community, and you're still being recognized as Muslim outside the Muslim community. And so you're leading people away from, from deen. So you are still hunting without even realizing it. And so that would be the ultimate uh, bad version of someone um, whose essence is one thing, but they're intentionally trying to show something else. or they are unintentionally trying to hide what they really are, or they're unintentionally trying to show something else by hiding what they are. There's still a few good qualities of a, of a hypocrite, of a monophic. One is embarrassment. They don't want you to know that they're a hypocrite, right? Like, I mean, none of us want to share our sins, okay? Um, but because someone's a sinner doesn't mean they're automatically monophic. Nevertheless, if the super sahabas was, was, were concerned about being monophics, then we definitely need to, but... Um, but it's something to easily fall into the trap of. So what's the difference between, like, making mistakes a lot as opposed to those becoming characteristics mm -hmm. of a monophic? So it comes down to what do you do after you, after you make the mistakes, right? So you should follow up a bad deed with a good deed. Mm -hmm. okay? That includes tawbah, mm -hmm. right? And that includes also following it up with a good deed. And the more consciousness you have of your akhirah, um, the, the, the better, right? The more concern you have about being a hypocrite, okay? Not people seeing you as a hypocrite, but the more concern you have about being a hypocrite. 
uh, is also very important. Because if you are concerned about being a hypocrite and you recognize how horrible that is, that's worse than being a kafir. Right? Because a kafir is rejecting, a hypocrite is rejecting, but hiding, but pretending to be a believer. And so there's many narrations that give the impression that a hypocrite will be even a lower place in hell. And so if you have very active concern about not being a monophic, about avoiding being a monophic, that should lead you down a path of being upright. doesn't but mean you're not going to sin, though. Yeah. But if you don't know, then how can you fix something that you don't even know about? Yeah. So, so for that, you're always listening for criticism. Every one of us receives criticism, some or the other. And so then you're trying to evaluate and apply the criticism that people give you, even if it's somebody irrelevant. And you're also on a path of continuous quality improvement anyway. Because there's some amount of yourself that you do know, right? That you can just evaluate objectively. How am I doing my prayers? How am I doing my fasting? How am I doing my charity? Things like that, right? So you can still work towards improving those things. So there are, there are different ways. And of course, it's always helpful to have a guide or someone you know, who will be frank you know, or appropriately frank. Okay, any other questions? I think that's it today. All right, so this whole section was very much about looking at what is the true essence of a thing, meaning the true essence of a person, and then uh, directing it in, in the proper uh, direction. All right, we'll stop right here at the end of Discourse 4. Next time we'll do Discourse 5. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdika wa ilaha illa anta wa alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen.